Hey, player two, you're awake. It's me, Kitty M, the All Geek, your guide through the land of Pod, the geekiest world there is. Probably not the geekiest, I'm not sure we could actually stand up to that legally. Still, we've got reviews of Infinity War, and why the gremlins are actually good guys, and why you should know about Lost in Space, and zombies, how to live through being attacked by zombies. I mean, not all the secrets, obviously. That would be weird for me to share that with you. Come on, player two. Let's roll. Hey, player two, come in, sit down. I got some news off the uh, the notice board and maybe later we'll go on a side quest about gremlins. But right now, I think it's really important that we talk about socializing because now we can have co-op sims for gameplay and I can't think of anything worse. I grew up in an era of the internet where Harbo Hotel was a thing. It was blocky, everyone had their own avatar and it was a mess of conversation and creeps. So maybe that's why I'm not totally excited about Sims 4 co-play, where your sim interacts with someone else's sim. It could also have a lot to do with the fact I enjoy social interactions in The Sims because it gives me the ability to control almost every aspect of the social interactions, therefore making them much less scary for me. But, I mean, if you enjoy socialising with other humans, this is definitely for you, player two. You should check out the mod. Why would you? In slightly less scary news, new gremlins... Yeah, those lovable scamps from the 80s and 90s who started the health food craze of not eating after midnight and reproduced by getting wet. I would argue that the true monsters in the Gremlins movies are the humans, but that's a rant for later. No, the important thing right now is that Gremlins will be getting a reboot. Chris Columbus will be directing, which is good because he worked as a writer on the first two Gremlins movies. He also directed Home Alone 1 and 2, Mrs. Doubtfire and two of the Harry Potter films, which I think means he's got a pretty good background for making a Gremlins movie we can all enjoy. Carl Ellsworth is tipped to be the writer on this, which is heartening. He was a writer on the remake of Red Dawn and Goosebumps, so I think together they'll be able to capture the feeling that the Gremlins had while still being able to actually bring it into the now. No word on when the movie will actually be out, so they'll be bringing it into the future? Speaking of Steven Spielberg, who, yeah, Gremlins, right? He's now going to be directing a DC movie. I know. That's weird, isn't it? It's, it's not just me. The movie will be centred around the character Black Hawk and, most probably, the Black Hawk Squadron, a gun team of ace pilots fighting the bad guys in World War II. The bad guys were the Nazis. You shouldn't have to point out that Nazis are, like, literally always the bad guys, but, you know, the times we live in. What would be nice is if they keep with the idea that the Black Hawks aren't really just an American unit, but rather a combination of nations working together against fascism. There were Polish, Dutch and Chinese guys in the original Black Hawk squadron, and since then the crew's grown to include a whole range of people. So there's someone for everyone, which makes sense given they're a top squad. It would be weird if they all had exactly the same backgrounds. In the New 52, there's even a lady Black Hawk. Yeah, progress. So there's a lot of room to move within this particular part of the universe while paying homage to the originals, while still not being the same old, same old we've seen from Hollywood in the past in relation to hero movies. Meaning they probably don't need to hire someone who's white and name is Chris. And I say hero movies because while these guys do show up in the DC universe, the Blackhawks are not technically superheroes. But what it could mean could be just about anything. I hope they include the shark planes because that would be delightful. But if you're looking for good DC right now, you can never go past any of their animated stuff, which is good because Suicide Squad hell to pay, if it's not out right now, will be soon. And the real cherry on the, I don't know what people put cherries on, I don't eat 
cherries. But if you like cherries, I guess Christian Slater voicing Deadshot is the cherry on whatever dessert you put cherries on. I'm so here for this. For fans of Christian Slater, it goes without saying that the dude would have made a great Deadpool back in the day if ever he wanted to buff up or do the voice of because he's all dry humour and everything with a tinge of insane that could really bring out the darker side of DP. So hearing him voice Deadshot is brilliant. He's also not that dissimilar from Jack Nicholson in voice, so he could have been able to voice a Joker's character pretty easily. Again, it's the darkness in his voice that I love about it, so for him to be Deadshot, leading the Suicide Squad, I really think this is going to be good player too. Obviously it will be. It's a DC animation. They're always good. In other comic book movie news, Avengers Infinity War's been released upon the world, and that's nice. It actually came with some controversy here in Australia because it opened on Anzac Day, which is a memorial day that began as a commemoration of our World War I troops in Gallipoli, but has grown to be more about acknowledging conflict since then. Well, it's meant to be a day where we remember that war is not good, but not everyone treats it like that. Anyway, some people had an issue with it premiering on Anzac Day. Of course, some people decided to be very super witty about the whole thing because lol, why take everything seriously? And I, on the other hand, do take Anzac Day incredibly seriously. So I didn't go and see it on that day. For me, Anzac Day is huge. So it doesn't make sense to go and see a movie after the march. But if you did play it too, that's okay too. There's no rules against it. I have now, however, seen Infinity War. Here's my hot take without spoilers. I love Infinity War. My favourite part about Infinity War is critiques of Infinity War where they complain that they don't know who all the characters are who've been around for decades. I mean, as a fan of DC movies, I wouldn't know what that necessarily would feel like, but I assume it would be quite frustrating. Because, I don't know whether you know this player too, I found some of the criticisms of Batman vs Superman and Justice League to be quite unfair. I don't mention it often, but it really does keep me up at night. But now with Infinity War, I'll still be awake and fixating on the criticisms of movies I like by people I don't know, but I'll be doing it nestled in the sweet, smug satisfaction of knowing that I can counter those arguments now when they're made by anyone who enjoys Infinity War. It also means that DC movies can actually do what they're meant to now. For example, all the people complaining Batman vs Superman was too dark. You never get to say that again if you enjoyed Infinity War, which is so very dark. A side note, and this gave me extra special goosebumps, do not take your children to see Infinity War. Do you know how many small children were absolutely devastated at the end of that movie? Just in my cinema, I would say all of the dozen children under the age of eight whose parents made a very bad choice to take them to the M-rated movie that they talked through. And then at the end, I'm pretty sure at least one of those kids was on the verge of tears. I'm not saying I take joy in the suffering of others, but those parents made such a bad decision. Another point, we can now just let Snyder make movies as long as he wants because Infinity War took two hours of my life. Batman vs Superman Ultimate Edition is the superior version to the cinematic one and it's way long. So now we can just allow it. Maybe start throwing breaks halfway through movies in cinemas like they used to and then suddenly a two and a half hour long movie doesn't feel that long. And finally though, this is my favourite part, that we can now all agree, Marvel and DC alike, that you don't have to reintroduce well-known characters over and over again in every movie they're in. Why? Because people know who Batman is. They know who Thor is. And even if they don't, they can work out the basics. 
people aren't stupid and as an add-on to that we also don't have to require every superhero to be stock standard able to fight every bad guy because they didn't in Infinity War, just like in Justice League. Everyone had their strengths and weaknesses. That's the point of them all being in a league or a group, because they're not good at the same things. If they were, they wouldn't need people to help them. And I didn't actually mind it as a movie. I couldn't re-watch it the way I did with Justice League, and which, by the way, would happily watch the Snyder cut of that. But it's a solid Marvel film with finally a big bad guy I can really sink my teeth into. That's all I can tell you for now, Player 2, but if you're a big fan of the Marvel Universe, you will need to go and see this. If you're more of a DC fan, Thanos is the kind of bad guy you're gonna like. And also, it's really, really dark. You hear that? It's like there's an angry mob outside. Do you think it's because of what I said about Infinity War? People keep thinking I didn't like it. I liked it. It was, it was fine. It wasn't as good as Black Panther or Doctor Strange, but it was still good. You seem really angry. Oh. Oh no, player two. Those those people. I'm not sure they're people anymore. We have to get to the bunker. Do you hear that? Is that an angry mob? Do you think they're angry about the Gremlins reboot? I don't think they should be. That's oh. Sounds Sounds more like zombies. We should um we should head to the bunker. I always knew it had come to this. Well, I knew it'd either be zombie apocalypse or robot apocalypse. Quite frankly, I'm a little disappointed it's not robot apocalypse, but only because at least there now end would be quick. Seriously, robots are better than us in most ways. And probably the only thing stopping AI from taking over completely is that every time they get taught to think like humans, they apparently get depression. Which I can understand. Not because of the futility of life, but I do think that's a thing. I think it's mainly because they're able to calculate in real time just how terrible human thoughts are. I mean, imagine realizing you were created by humans. That's gotta be a serious letdown. On any given day, I think about rising to power just to make it law that slow walkers get their own lane. I mean, I say that, but I don't mean it. If I was in power, no one would walk in front of me. That would be the kind of despotic, imperialistic, authoritarian state I would run. Segregation of slow walkers in shopping centres would be the least of anyone's issues. If we're being serious for a moment. And not even the worst kind of person there is. There are people much worse than me who make headlines daily. I'm just your generally bad person who thinks terrible things daily, but has an empathy chip that's still firing off enough pulses to ensure I'll always say pardon me when you run into me. Or occasionally I feel sorry when I see some poor person trudging along under the mountain of bags, breaking under the literal weight of their Pavlovian response to a bargain. But I digress. Aliens may have to wait their turn to take over, and I believe that's exactly what they're doing, because zombies are so totally in our near future. That's why the Land of Pod conjured them. And why? Because genetically modified humans are in our present now, which is why it's our present. I know what you're thinking. This is how we get X-Men. But it's not. The X-Men were, by and large, mutants. They were a natural leap in human evolution. Mutagens were scientifically made. Deadpool is a mutagen. 
and as much as I'd love to date the hell out of him, we do not actually want him in our universe because he is a not very good person. Now, I'm not saying creatures born in or improved by test tubes are inherently evil. But if every form of media I've ever consumed has taught me anything, it's not to mess with Mother Nature because evolution has a plan. While it may eventually lead to wiping humanity off the planet, any attempts to mess with that plan only speed up the process. Which is why we're now here, talking about the zombie apocalypse. Now, I'm not going to give you all the answers, player two, because quite frankly, I intend on making the most of the zombie apocalypse. If you know all the secrets, well, then we'll both be benefiting greatly from this catastrophic turn in events, and I only like you enough to hope you survive. Not enough to share power with you, because I won't. But something I think you should start thinking about now, apart from some would say much more real threat of eugenics, which is just awful, but in terms of zombies, you should start getting a steady supply of tin foods and your survival team ready. You need to work out your survival team for any given situation you're in, when the crisis hits. A lot of people start counting off friends and family, but this is a rookie mistake. You won't know where you are when this all goes down, so you're going to have to have different teams for different parts of your life. Look around your workplace. Who would be a valuable asset to your survival? Who are you going to have to cut loose? Do you have a work wife or husband who's great when it comes to small talk in the kitchen, but ultimately has very little upper body strength and would only be good for zombie fodder if it turns out those suckers are runners? Is there an office jerk who you can manipulate into becoming your muscle in the event that you have to fight off other humans for resources? Or will it benefit you to just be nice to literally everyone and then slowly let them fight it out amongst themselves while you slip out the back with all the canned goods? But it's not just at work. We spend large amounts of our time commuting to work. So whenever you're stuck on public transport, start sizing people up and try to guess which one would be beneficial if zombies strike during your commute. I am not, I repeat, I am not suggesting you make eye contact or talk to those people. No one wants that. But if you're the kind of person who plays the headphones so loud we can hear your poor taste in thrash metal, then I recommend stopping doing that because no one on that train is teaming up with you. They may not throw you to the hungering horde of reanimated corpses banging on the train doors, but they're not going to save you either. Just be clear, I'm totally throwing you out there. It's one of the reasons I took up weights. Just to be able to do that. And if all this seems like some city slicker nonsense and you're from a rural area where these things don't apply, that's exactly right. You're in the country. So firstly, when the outbreak hits, it probably won't affect you straight away. You probably already know how to grow your own food and are likely tougher, more savvy and have enough of a close-knit community that come the rising of the undead, you'll be fully prepared. You're a player too. I, I'm not sure if it is zombies out there. It might just be angry Romulans. Don't ask why. Just to be sure, let's uh, check this situation out from space. What do you know? It's just an angry mob who were angry at me for probably no reason at all. Probably. I'll explain it to you when you're older, player two. For now, we're up in space, which means we can talk about sci-fi. Like Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is now in production. Which means if you haven't seen Season 1, Player 2, I need you to see Season 1. We really can't be friends unless you're going to give it a red hot go. It is different from the other Star Trek series, but then it's because it's a different Star Trek series. It also has a number of nods to the originals. It's sort of like a... It's not really a reboot of Star Trek, but more a uh, broader view of the universe when the originals are meant to be happening as well. What is a reboot is the Lost in Space Netflix reboot. 
That's actually not terrible. For those unaware, yes, there was an original Lost in Space. And it was about a family, the Robinsons, getting lost. You guessed it, in space. It was slightly different from people getting trapped on an island, but more or less the same thing. Kind of. Not really. More specifically, they get lost on a planet in a part of space they don't know about. There was a creepy doctor who's always up to no good, a dad who's always in charge, a mum who's a scientist and a teenage daughter, and Will, the youngest and most useless of the Robinsons. He's a kid of about 11 whose only friend was a robot, who could seemingly only say the words, Danger, Will Robinson. Didn't matter much to Will, because he was kind of a dweeb and his dad wasn't around much, and you take what you can get. I would argue his dad wasn't around much, because Will was kind of a dweeb. This new Lost in Space follows that general idea in that it's a family lost in space. But this unit is more with the times. There's the socially aware and brilliant teenage daughter, Judy, the more refined but socialite-leaning Penny. Will is still kind of a little dweeb who has panic attacks that both his sisters talk him through. The mother is a scientist of some kind and fits in well with the stereotype of parent in science fiction in that she shows next to no concern for her children, either in in relation to getting them to do things or taking them into dangerous situations. The dad's not much better. He's some army dude who's better at giving orders than actually parenting. And these two parents do not get along well, which you can understand is just swell for their kids. After two episodes, I can tell you that the story and the characters are good enough for further watching, but I'm a little cautious. The kids in this are brilliant, but just like with any TV show, I'm worried I'm going to spend more time being annoyed at the terrible parenting and not enough time focusing on the story. Like, I get it, Dr. Maureen Robinson. You're excited about scientists and new galaxies, and I'll admit it's interesting, but can you stop being a type A personality long enough to realise that your wide-eyed amazement and degree in being a condescending elitist intellectual is not helping your kids, who have literally not yet lived enough of their lives to be content with discovering the secrets of this planet or the universe? Maybe they're going to be having a hard time adjusting to the fact that they may never go on a first date. Ever. And as for John Robinson, the dad, his ability to prioritise survival of his family over their emotional needs to constantly be reassured and shown everything is safe is commendable. But the guy skulks around with a sour look on his face the whole time and then complains to himself that his kids just don't open up to him. Like it's their job to make the first move. You're literally the parent. You're the older one here, you should be better at this. Long story short, I don't want the adults to be the teenagers in this, and from the first two episodes, it kind of feels like that's what they're doing. Aside from that, this story, the special effects, and the hints at the original series are well put together, and I'm hoping those nods to the original are enough for those who actually grew up with the original series to see it's trying to pay homage, rather than trying to rewrite the story. The acting is solid, the suspense is built up in a way that shouldn't scare you off every episode, and they've done something new with the robot, and I'm not sure whether I'm cool with that or not, but it adds an extra layer. So it's not going over old ground, but rather inserting our own fears around technology and scepticism of help, which suits the new generation of TV watchers. Again, I hope this doesn't annoy the original fans, but it did add something a little extra for me. So if you're looking for something sci-fi that has something for everyone, I think you're in for a real treat with this new Lost in Space. But then I've only seen the first two episodes, so it could go downhill really fast. Speaking of, there's also Reboot on Netflix, which is a different kind of nostalgia. Reboot was a series back in the 90s. It did not have great graphics, but it followed four kids into the cyber realm where they fought viruses in real time, and it probably went a little way to explaining firewalls and other such cyber technology, but more likely it misrepresented how things actually work in the world of cybersecurity. So, when Reboot was back on Netflix... (sighs) 
Look, if you've forgotten what all those after-school 90s shows were like, then this is the perfect reminder. It's like watching Power Rangers, except there's only four of them, so far, and they're in computers, not in the real world. Or maybe it's more like Animorphs, except there's no deep questions from the offset about what might override in slavery and the use of sentient beings. The special effects are decent as long as you enjoy that style of animation, like Max Steel, and the voice acting and acting is fine. As long as, honestly, if you're more interested in Power Rangers the TV show, not Power Rangers the movie. This isn't a bad looking series, and I don't know enough about the original to say it's going to scratch the itch of diehard fans, but I saw it terrible. The characterization does feel a little tired though. We get it, a geeky girl who wears a leather jacket and plaid shirt around her waist, who has to eye roll her way through her first day at a very cool and obviously exclusive tech-based high school. And then there's the guy with the dad who's brilliant but complains there's pressure on him to perform at the very exclusive tech school that most kids would love the chance to go to. This kid, by the way, can't tell you what an algorithm is. Even though his dad was literally brilliant, you would have thought he would have picked up what words mean. Or there's the jock, who is a jock and scared of all technology at the tech high school. And then the enthusiastic but cringeworthy nerdy kid, who's the only one who actually deserves to be setting foot in the school out of the group, because he seems like the only one genuinely interested in going to the very obviously tech high school. Like, did these kids not read the enrollment form? So in short, yeah, it did turn me off in the first episode. I won't be watching again, but there might be a chance later on where I give it a second go. Just... With so much out there at the moment, I don't know why I would be bothering that much with characterizations that could have been better. Sorry. But it might be the thing that you love player two. So if it is, let me know. I'd love to have a reason to give it a second chance. That engine doesn't sound good. You don't think we have like gremlins in the ship, do you? Oh no. I can't believe we made it back. You never told me you could pilot an emergency ship. What do you mean you can't? You're the internet generation player too. You could, you guys can read up on anything. That's what I heard. Anyway, we're here. <laughs> no thanks to those darn gremlins, right? Or the fact I spilled peanut butter on the control panel. Oops. <laughs> Looks like we're going to have to walk it back to the tavern though. You know what, I think it's time you and I discussed why in the movie Gremlins, the bad guys are not actually the Gremlins at all. Or to put it more accurately, they're not the only bad guys, and are arguably not the worst from a moral point of view. Gremlins is getting a reboot, as we found out in the tavern, with Chris Columbus as the director. He actually wrote the Gremlins movie screenplay, so I think he's going to do the reboot worthy for fans of the original. But I think enough time has passed now that we can discuss logically, and in an unbiased manner, the fact that the humans are the true villains in the Gremlins movie. Hear me out, or completely fast travel our walk. I'm not the boss of you or what you do while you're in the land of Pod, except you can't actually go anywhere here without me. You're like an NPC who has to carry my stuff in Skyrim, but instead of objects, it's just my emotional baggage and rage. <laughs> Fun! Anyway, the humans are the true bad guys in Gremlins, and here's why. The story of Gremlins seems simple enough. Dad buys his son an exotic pet, and the son, through a series of accidents and careless behaviour, breaks the three rules of owning this particular pet. He gets it wet, which leads it to spawn more mogwai. He feeds the mogwai after midnight, which leads to them turning into gremlins, and he even flashes bright lights at the poor thing, causing it to hurt itself. But once the 
bad mogwai turn into gremlins, then they run havoc in the town, killing at least a few of the townsfolk and otherwise destroying public property, getting drunk and doing their versions of Flashdance. Are they bad guys though? First off, let's look at all the humans. Objectively, they range from neutral to evil. There are no good humans in the Gremlins movie, save possibly for the old guy in the shop where the Mogwai, later renamed Gizmo, is bought. Bought without the consent of his owner, which is stealing Billy's dad from the corrupt police officer who's trying to weasel a free Christmas tree from a guy whose peak business is Christmas in a town whose economy is teetering on the edge, to Mrs. Deagle, who seems to delight in making life harder for poor people. There's the racist neighbour, Mr. Futterman, who blames all faults on foreign stuff and then drinks himself into a stupor when he finds out his incredibly reliable snowplow is made from foreign parts. There's the me generation poster boy, Gerald Smoltz, who I don't know that anything actually bad happens to him, but he's a symptom of the town where the gap between the have and the have-nots is growing ever wider. This is all before the gremlins are unleashed on the town. I mean, yes, they do exert a certain amount of chaos and destruction, but it's hardly an idyllic village where everyone's living in harmony. There's quite obviously suffering and a lack of social services for people who genuinely need it. And Billy, the main guy who gets gifted the stolen mogwai from his father, is a huge jerk as well. He's mildly racist and incredibly self-focused, to the point that when Katie, the love interest, says, some people are opening Christmas presents, others are opening their wrists, Thanks, Katie. This is a PG film. Just wait till you find out why she hates Christmas. Pro tip, it's not what Billy thinks, though we're not sure Billy thinks. Billy is given a mogwai, the only kind of creature of its kind he's ever seen, and within 48 hours of getting his new friend, he's managed to hurt it, get it wet, and spawn a whole heap of other mogwai. And what is it that Billy and his father think of doing when all of this is revealed? Selling the mogwai. It's not at all to be concerned about the quite fantastical way in which these animals multiply, nor is it to wonder why there was a warning about getting them wet in the first place, or for Billy to think about how much pain Gizmo was in while spawning new mogwai. No, it's basically so they can set up a mogwai mill. But Billy's inability to act on any kind of ethical code in relation to the way he treats these creatures doesn't end there. Billy then takes one of the mogwai to his science teacher, who then spawns another mogwai to run some experiments on which Billy is totally fine with, because of course. And it's not that Billy is somehow discarding these animals, by the way. By this stage, Gizmo has shown he can feel fear and pain. He's shown a grasp of music, and other mogwai have shown an ability to form social groups, as shown by the way they follow Stripe. Then everyone acts shocked. Shocked when the Mogwai evolved themselves into stronger, more capable beings in order to free themselves from their captors, who've really only shown an interest in them as a source of money. And there's never actually an attempt to reason with the Gremlins. Now, props to Billy's mum, she's the Ripley you have when you're not watching Ripley. That lady slices and dices more Gremlins in hand-to-hand -hand combat than anyone else. But the fact remains that the Gremlins are sentient and intelligent, even by human standards. They can read, they make multiple pop culture references, they exhibit social hierarchy and a love of true cinema, as shown by their appreciation for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which was seen as a true artistic masterpiece of its day, and some would say it set the path for the booming animation industry we have today. Certainly without the work done and the impact it had, we wouldn't have Studio Ghibli and from that Pixar or any other animation studio holding themselves to such high standards. One could even say that the appreciation of the gremlins for the dwarves in that animation means they exhibit in some way a camaraderie for the downtrodden and maligned workers, and perhaps with more time to evolve, they would have become a force for good for those suffering at the hands of the cruel and wealthy in the town. But now we'll never know. I mean, these creatures were a few days old. 
raised on a diet of fast food and video games. They never had any true experiences or teachings when it came to ethical standards to hold themselves to, so they made their own. I would argue that while they may have been inherently mischievous or even chaotic, that it's Billy's fault for setting a terrible example of might over right with little or no regard for compassion, which then led them down the path we see them on. And I think that's a broader message in all of this as well, which is that humanity as a species has often tried to corrupt or control nature, then act surprised when nature occasionally takes a bite back. Though, ultimately, humanity does triumph, but in the most gruesome and violent of ways. Do you think it's a coincidence that Stripe finds his end in the plant nursery of a shopping complex? Which is obviously a metaphor for humanity's need to recreate nature on our own terms because we're afraid of its might when left to its own devices? Ah, no, I, I could be wrong. Here's the tavern. I'm glad we made it back to the tavern player too. We're in a lot of danger this week. You really kept your head. Even those few times where I tripped you in the hopes that the zombies and the, the gremlins and angry crowds might swarm on you instead of going after me. But you, you're a survivor. I like that about you, player two. I really do. As a treat, I've got a little bit more news for you. Something that may or may not be as good as being chased by an angry mob. It's probably better than being chased by an angry mob. This news is about vampires, and it isn't Twilight, so it obviously could be much worse. Netflix have signed on for at least 10 episodes of a TV adaptation of IDW's V Wars, which is about, you guessed it, vampires. Is it time for vampires again? I feel like it is. That's all I've got for you so far, Player 2. That and I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> you get it? Because they're, they're vampires. They drink blood. <laughs> That's the sound they make. I think. I don't know. Never met a vampire. You think that's a bad joke? You should hear about the joke the Warhammer guys made about crunch. Crunch is the term that happens in the gaming development industry, where they basically crunch, say, 70 hours into 24. People work overtime to get a game out, and it's a serious issue. And so when the makers of the new Warhammer game made that joke, gamers responded by saying, no, no, it's cool. Please let your workers work normal hours. It's okay. We, do, we don't want that game if you're going to crunch people for it. On the other hand, player two, just be aware that at any time that anyone is making anything for you, they're probably putting in extra hours. Whether it's a show on TV, a movie, a podcast, for example, a cosplayer. Most of us have day jobs that we do on top of this, or it's our actual day job. And there's a high likelihood that someone is putting in those extra hours to make it the best they can for you. So support them, like by giving their podcasts a good review and sharing it with friends. I don't think you should do that, that with this podcast too. This one, this one isn't good. I put a lot of time into it and this is the best I get. But other things go. Support the people, okay? And finally, player two, there's an organization called Stack Up. You can go to their website, check out some of their Twitch streams. I think they're pretty global and they're helping people. Their main focus is on creating community for people who come back from war, which is really, really important. Oh, look at that player too. It's time for you to go. Until next time. <laughs>